Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. We're glad you're here. We hope you've had a great weekend so far. It's a new week. It's God's day, and we're here with God's people to try to encourage each other and worship Him. So thank you so much for being here. If you're visiting with us, we want to give you a special thank you for coming. Hope you have a few minutes afterwards. We can say hi to you and get to meet you just a little bit. If you have questions about Great Oaks, please let us know. We're trying to be sincere followers of Jesus Christ, and we'd love for you to join us in that. Um, If that's something that you're interested in talking about, uh, let us know that also. Before we get going, I need to introduce uh, our newest sister in Christ, Miss Mia Fermanek. Would you please stand up for just a second? Let everybody see you. This is Mia. She was baptized into Christ last Sunday after morning worship services. You can have a seat and I'll tell a little bit more about you. She's been studying there with her grandmother, uh, Donna Stewart, who's sitting next to her. They've been studying for a while about Christianity, about what that commitment entails. And so she decided last Sunday uh, was the day she wanted to put on Christ in baptism and have her sins washed away. So we're excited for you, Mia. Um, Her uncle, Lee Escrow, baptized her into Christ. She's got her mom, Maria, that's been visiting with us, her husband, Brandon. We appreciate them coming. Meet them if you haven't had a chance to, but we're excited for that family and excited for Mia. And I wasn't going to do this, but I see Riley Bevel is here. She's trying to hide from me. I'm sorry. Riley, could you stand just a second? Let everybody see you. This is Riley Bevel. Uh, She was baptized into Christ a few weeks ago. Uh, I was going to try to get a hold of her this afternoon to introduce her tonight because her family usually by work schedules can come at night. Uh, But she's here today, and we're excited for Riley for being baptized into Christ. You can have a seat, too. Riley also has been studying over several months, and I'm proud of her. She's been reading her Bible, reading the Gospel of Mark, reading about the book of Acts, through the book of Acts, and she's been growing and learning. Uh, She's a high school student, and we appreciate her big decision as well. So happy for that family also. And if you are here and thinking about Christianity, you can do what these ladies have done. We have a series of studies we go through with people uh, to help them help you make your own decision about faith, let you know uh, what the Bible says and see it for yourself. And if you would like to talk about that or study those, please let us know. It's the biggest decision of your life. We'd love to help you with it if we can. On our Sunday mornings here in the summer, we're picking up a theme that's sort of going through the year off and on. We're ta- going through the big picture story of the Bible. A lot of things happen in the Bible, but there is a a storyline that fits together. We want to at least know the big pieces of how those storylines fit together. So we talked about the patriarchal age in the book of Genesis, when God spoke directly to the, the leaders of families. Now in these hot summer months, we're talking about the Mosaic age, when people were under the law of Moses. And that's the rest of the Old Testament, from Exodus all the way through Malachi. And we've seen the children of Israel leave Egypt. We've seen them go to Mount Sinai and get the Ten Commandments. Last Sunday, we saw God come to Joshua and say, Joshua, you are now going to be the leader of this people. Be strong and be courageous. And he took the lead as they went in and took the promised land. This morning, we're going to get an overview of that first big era after Joshua and his generation died off. Uh, And it's an important one that teaches us, I think, a few good lessons. So we'll study it together today. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump into it. God, we're so thankful today for a time of worship. We're thankful that in your plan, you've had your people come together to start each week, uh, to honor you, and to set our hearts back on the right things. God, I pray as we study today that what is said will be what you want to be said. We pray that we'll learn something or be reminded of something that will help us live for you this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Judges in your Bible plays out something that really started well before the time of the Judges. When Moses was still alive in the book of Deuteronomy, 
And the book of Deuteronomy is Moses giving his last speeches to the Israelites before he died. And in that book, among the things he taught them for God was that if you will follow God, you will have God's blessings. But if you choose to not follow God, you'll have what Moses at least called the curses of the covenant, which essentially meant God would withdraw His special blessing. He would take away His special strength and blessing from you. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said, when you go into the promised land, here's what I want you to do. And they did this in Joshua chapter 8. He said, I want you to take half the people and I want them to stand on Mount Gerizim. And I want you to take the other half of the people and I want them to stand over on Mount Ebal, two mountains that were close enough to, to be close to each other. He said, I want them to stand on those mountains and I want you to recite the blessings and the curses of the law. And those blessings and curses were given in Deuteronomy 28. I won't read them all, but you notice he starts that chapter. He says, if you diligently obey the Lord, verse 2, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. What a, what a great word. God's blessings overtaking you if you'll be with God. And then he lists many of those blessings in Deuteronomy 28 if you want to read it for yourself. And then later on he says in verse 15, but if you do not obey the Lord your God then these curses will overtake you. These, this lack of blessing from God. All these other nations that will be around you, all of a sudden, they're going to be bigger than you anyway. But if you don't have God with you, you're not going to have much chance against them. And so the covenant between Israel and God was, if they would stay with God, God promised bigger blessings than they could ever imagine for themselves. But if they would leave God, they wouldn't have those blessings. And you see that play out in the rest of the Old Testament. In fact, those promises came so, true, came so true that some scholars call this the Deuteronomic history. You see the word Deuteronomy in that word Deuteronomic, and I hope I'm saying it right. But the Deuteronomic history, if you want a precise definition of the Deuteronomic history, this is from the concise Oxford Dictionary of World Religions says the Deuteronomic history is the name given by scholars to the theory of history in the biblical books of Deuteronomy through 2 Kings. And this is the theory. Obedience to the commands of God leads to success and disobedience to disaster. I think the only thing I would add to that is I would say that the Bible makes clear this isn't just a theory of history for them. And it's not just in those books. I think you find the entire Old Testament plays out that idea under that law of Moses. That was their covenant. That when the children of Israel stayed with God, they had God's blessings. And when they left God, they found that to be a disastrous place to be. That is the story of the Old Testament. And that is the story of the book of Judges. In fact, the book of Judges says it starts off in chapter 2. Chapter 1 tells how Joshua and his generation have died off and they were so faithful. In fact, they might have been the most faithful generation you see anywhere in the Bible. But that generation has died off. And here in Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 23, I won't read all of it, but I've got a few verses up here to point out the cycle that happens over and over again in the book of Judges. Verse 11 of chapter 2 says, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Those were those false, pretend other gods of the nations around them. So they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served these other gods. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt 
and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. You notice verse 12 points out all that God had done for them. But they would get comfortable. They'd get settled in the promised land now. And they would forget God. And they would start serving these other gods. And God is angry about that. And so verse 14 says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. So instead of God protecting them from the people trying to steal from them, God withdrew His special protection because they've left God. He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. These other nations were more powerful anyway, but God has now withdrawn His protection. And so the people would leave God. They would be taken by these other nations. Verse 15 and goes on to describe that this is because of what God had said back with Moses. Then verse 18. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. And so you can see in that verse, judges are not what we call judges today. These weren't people who sat on a bench and heard cases and decided what was right and wrong. These judges were more like deliverers. They were often military leaders. And so God, at the end of that verse, eventually the people would be so hurt by these other nations that they would finally cry out to God and finally realize, hey, all this is happening to us because we've left God. And so they finally cry out to God, and God is moved with compassion. He loves His people. He wants them to be right with Him. And so God would raise up a judge, a deliverer, who would help get these people out of the difficult situation they found themselves in. But then the cycle would continue, verse 19 would describe says, but it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. This happens over and over again. They leave God. Other nations start hurting them. They cry out to God for help. God helps them with a deliverer. And then they go right back to following other nations. And the cycle just continues over and over through 13, most people count, 13 judges in the book of Judges. I want us just to point out how it works in one of them. The best known of the 13 judges are Deborah and Gideon and Samson. You've probably heard all of those names if you spent much time around the Bible or church. Gideon is the one I want us just in a broad brushstroke. There's so much more to say about the life of Gideon. But I just want us to point out how this cycle works in the life and the deliverance of Gideon. You see, for example, first of all, the people do evil and they're oppressed this time by the nation of Midian. Remember, as they go into this promised land. They, they had to drive out some sinful, evil nations to get their place in the land. But as Joshua 1 describes and Judges 1 describes, they didn't drive out everybody. And so all these other nations are still around and they were constantly trying to get Israel to follow their gods. And, and there, were always, there were always issues with these other nations. This time it was Midian. And so Judges 6 says, again, notice how this cycle starts. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. 
And it goes on to describe what Midian would do. They would come in every, every time there was a harvest and they would take all of Israel's crops and they would take all their livestock. And so Israel had no food because Midian's just taking it. They're stronger than them. They're bigger than them. And they've left God. So God's not giving us special protection anymore. And so it says they start making dens in the mountains to hide, to hide their crops, to hide their livestock, to hide themselves. And this went on for seven long years until finally a prophet, an unnamed prophet, Judges 6 tells us, starts speaking. And the people start to realize, hey, this is because we've left God. Just like the covenant said, just like Moses said would happen if we left God. And so what you then find, as the cycle continues, the people finally cry out to God. God, we need you. We should not have left. We are sinful. Please forgive us. Please let us be back right again. And so you see that again in Judges 6, verse 6. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And God listens just like He wanted to in His covenant relationship. So the third thing you see is God raises up a deliverer. And also put on this one, and God gives the victory. God made that especially clear here with Gideon, that He was the one giving the victory. Um, When God calls Gideon, an angel appears to him in Judges 6. You see, angels do all sorts of things in Scripture. And here an angel comes to speak to Gideon, and you notice... Uh, here in verse 11, Gideon is beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. And so he's hiding. He's hiding in the wine press where they can't see him. He's brought the wheat in from the field and he's hid it in the wine press because he doesn't want the Midianites to see that the, the harvest is ready or they'll just come take it. That's what they do. And so he's hiding and the angel appears and says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And there is no evidence that Gideon was a valiant warrior. He's hiding in the wine press. But God comes to him and says, you're going to be the one. And Gideon's got some questions about that. And you might know the story of the fleece. If you want to read it all for yourself, I think you'd, you'd benefit from reading that. He, put, he has all these questions about whether he's really the person. God makes it clear that, yes, he's really calling Gideon to be the leader. And so Gideon, uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. Gideon finally agrees to go. And, and if you're here Wednesday night, our speaker pointed out, when we take those first steps, the strength of God is always there to to give us the strength to do what we're supposed to do. And so Gideon is, says, okay, I'll go. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him, gives him, giving him God's strength. He blew a trumpet. What that means is he's calling all the people to come fight against Midian, and the people come together to follow him. But what happens, if you remember, God decides that there's too many of them. They had 32,000 people. Now, if Midian had been taking all our stuff for seven years, I think we'd want all the people we could get. But God says, here's the danger in that here in chapter 7. If you, I'll just read the whole verse. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. So here is God who knows people's hearts, who knows the future. And he says, if this army, if I give them the victory over Midian, they're going to get so proud of themselves that they're going to say, hey, we did it. We did it. And the spiritual lesson is not going to be learned that needs to be learned. So he says, you've got to to get a smaller army. 
I wonder if he had questions about that. But the army goes down. First he says, if you're scared, just go home. And a lot of people go home. And then they have this thing at the, at the water. Go get some water. And if you drank a certain way, then you can stay in the army and the rest of you go on home. Got down to 300 men. But God took those 300 men. If you remember the story, God, God told them to take lanterns and a jar and a trumpet. And those 300 men went by night and surrounded the camp of Midian. And at the signal, they smashed the jars and held up their their torches and they blew their trumpets, which must have been an incredible amount of noise surrounding the camp. And the Midianites just went into into fear at this noise in the middle of the night. And people were running everywhere and and they're just pulling out their swords and killing whoever is running by and they're ending up killing each other. God gives the victory in a way that made it clear it was only God that could have given that victory of 300 people over this mighty nation of Midian that's been oppressing them for so long. But then what happens, again, they have peace while they are faithful to God. So Gideon, God gives the victory. Peace is there, but it wouldn't last forever. It says, so Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads anymore, and the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. But, verse 33... Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal bereath their God. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. So you see the cycle begin again, don't you? Turn away from God, cry out to God, God delivers peace until they leave God again. That was the covenant they'd made with God And that happens over and over and over in the Judges. Now, what do we learn from all that? If you haven't read the book of Judges, I'd encourage you to do it. Just to see that, to see God's deliverance, to see the way He calls different people, people like Gideon who didn't feel like they were really the right person, but yet God could use them. There's so many great lessons here. But just from our broad overview this morning, I've got three things I hope we take home from seeing the judges cycle. Number one, let's not forget God. That might be too simple to say, but my guess is our experience is that we see that sometimes in ourselves. It's so sad that God could deliver Israel from out of slavery in Egypt and take care of them for 40 years in the wilderness and help them beat bigger, mightier nations in the land of Canaan. And then as soon as they get settled in the land of Canaan, they start forgetting God. Isn't it sad? There's something about us that we seem to to get comfortable in life. And the more comfortable we get, we're not always comfortable in life, but when we get comfortable in life, we seem to let God sort of drift a little bit, don't we? You know, sometimes we, we wonder, sometimes I wonder, why, why didn't God just make a world with, with no problems and no suffering? I think there's a lot of good reasons for that, but among the biggest and I think most significant reasons is that wouldn't be good for us spiritually. We don't always do good when things are comfortable and great. We, we tend to think that we've got it all figured out. And it's so sad that God can give us blessings sometimes. And those very blessings that God is trying to give us, like the promised land, like food, like safety, we let those blessings make us too comfortable and spiritually apathetic. And we look up and God's not near the part of our life that He used to be. 
the way Proverbs 30, verse 9 said, there's a guy named Augur in Proverbs 30, and you might remember his prayer. He says, God, don't give me poverty or riches. And what a strange prayer. But the riches side, he said, don't give me riches so that I might get full and forget you. Sometimes God gives us blessings and we let those very blessings make us too busy and too distracted and too comfortable. And God gets pushed over to the side. Let's not make that mistake. Let's remind ourselves what's most important. Let's not forget the God who's given us all that we have. Second thing I hope we learn from the judges cycle is just a reminder of the consequences of sin versus the blessings of God. Now, it is different today, and we need to make that clear. In the Mosaic Covenant, which we're not under the Mosaic Covenant today, we're under the Covenant of Christ. The Mosaic Covenant had very much these earthly blessings and curses that were very much part of it. They were in this promised land. They were a nation. It was a, very much, a, in a lot of ways, a physical blessing-curse-promise system. Ours is not that under the covenant of Christ. Uh, ours is very much a spiritual. Theirs was spiritual too. But ours is even more a spiritual blessing-curse-promise system in our covenant with God through Christ. But we still see that this is true. The reason people say things like, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, and always cost you more than you were willing to pay, and sin will leave you left in a pig trough, a reference to the prodigal son parable. The reason people say stuff like that is because it's true. And even if we're cruising along at 100 miles an hour and don't feel any consequences left, we're like the person on the highway who doesn't know the bridge is out up ahead, and we're just flying right into it. God has set up a world where He's not in our face all the time. And I, I, God hadn't told me why, but my guess is that's, that's for real choice. That in some way, God's trying to give us real choice. He's close enough that we can see evidence of Him. We can see what He's doing. We can see what He's done. But He's not in our face all the time. If we let that make us think He's not there, we've made a mistake. Because we might be rolling down that highway and not realize that this is where sin always leads. It always leads to disaster. So we need those times in our life where we, where we stand on those two mountains and we remind ourselves this is what sin gives you and this is what God gives you because if we forget that, we end up chasing sin. Sometimes, sometimes I even realize and that's the path we're going down. The path of sin always ends in bad consequences. It always ends in tragedy. But the blessings of Christ, there's forgiveness and there's strength and there's hope and there's eternity, and there's God walking with you, and there's a family of faith, and it's not always a perfect family, but it's a family that's trying to point each other in the right direction. All these bigger, real stuff blessings that come through Christ, you can chase sin all you want, but eventually you realize if you don't have God, you don't have the real stuff. We need to be reminded of that. And you think about that parable Jesus told, the prodigal son, when he's there in the pig trough and he's left his father. And, it, and I love the, the little phrase as Jesus told the story. I think it's about verse 17 of Luke 15. He says, and he came to himself. He'd been chasing sin. He'd been living for the world. And finally, he came to himself. And you know what he came to himself and started thinking? It was a lot better back home with God than all this stuff I've been chasing. We need to have that realization before it gets too far down the path. Some people never turn back. Some people never wake up until it's too late. Let's remember there are real consequences for sin and there are real blessings of following God.
And on this last one, before I put it up here, this third one, I just want us to think about that judge's cycle in general. Just the sometimes with God and sometimes not with God and going back and forth. And sometimes we see that in our own life. Now, I do believe just by the nature of growth that our lives are going to, our faith is sometimes going to be stronger than others. And sometimes we got to recommit ourselves and get back. And sometimes we drift and we didn't realize it. All that stuff's going to happen. But let's try to make sure that pendulum swing of judges doesn't become us. Because sometimes we're so flighty and we're so inconsistent. And sometimes we live faithfully and sometimes we don't look anything like a Christian. I'll go ahead and put up here what I, what I had in mind for that blank. Let's, let's build a bigger consistency in our faith. Let's deepen ourselves. Let's grow to the point that this is really who we are. No matter who's around, whether things are good or bad... Whether, whether we're with friends or church people or family or neighbors or people at work, this is who we are. We're not swinging all over the place, sometimes faithful, sometimes not. We don't want the judges' cycle to be us. Let's become people who God can count on, who God knows wherever I put them in life, they're going to shine the light of my son, Jesus Christ. And when you show God that type of consistency, it's when God can really start using us to make the world what He wants it to be, a better place for His Son, for, for faith. We learn a lot from judges. I guess maybe the final thing is simply that. Let's make sure we are really with God, keeping the covenant that we have made with Him. One other thing you notice from that judges cycle is whenever sinful people turn their life back to God, cry out to God, Notice what God did. God didn't say, hey, too bad, too bad. I told you, you had one chance, you, you blew it. God didn't do that. God wanted, whenever sinful people came back to him, God listened to those cries, he listened to repentance, and he restored the relationship. He restored the relationship as they turned their hearts back to him. If that's you today, if you've been going down the wrong path, know that God is always there. God, God wants that relationship to be rebuilt. Don't go too far down that path because some people find it's really hard to turn back. But God is there waiting. And if today is the day that you're ready to become a Christian, why not do what the Bible says to do to receive the forgiveness of Christ, to receive the hope of heaven, to receive the relationship with God you want to have? You can do these things you see on the screen if you haven't done them. If you're ready to study at some point, sit down and start talking about Jesus Christ in the Bible. We'd love to do that. But if you've come in today believing in Jesus, you're ready to repent, you're ready to confess your faith in Him and be baptized into Him, we'd love to see you baptized today. We're about to sing a song of invitation, and we'll be down here ready to help if we can help anybody. If you have prayers you'd like us to pray for, if you have sin you need to confess, you have a church family that wants to help each other get to heaven, if we can help you in any way, you can come to the front now while we stand, while we sing.